0: The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Question of faith and what a joy it is and what a joy it is now to bring the word of God to you. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Hosea, as our passage this morning is Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, the entirety of the chapter. Uh, This morning, I wanted us to consider how Jesus is the true and obedient son who brings about a new and final exodus. He is the one who sets us free, who brings us out of captivity to now live in the presence of God. And so we'll consider this from Hosea. We'll read the entirety of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering and burnt offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jars. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. Because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. How can I give up, give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How could I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies in the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, seeking his help this morning. Let us pray. Oh, our great God, you are the Holy One of Israel, a holy and majestic God. You are the God of light and truth. It is in your light we see light. We are dependent upon you, Father, to speak in the word, in your Son, and by your Spirit. And so we pray That this morning you would work powerfully through your word. That you, by your spirit, would give us eyes to behold wonderful things in your law. That we would behold the glory of Christ here from Hosea. And that as we behold his glory, you would transform us into his likeness. We pray, Lord, your word would go forth with power to build up, to edify, and to encourage. As we rest in this glorious gospel. And that you indeed would enable us to live in the freedom that we have in Christ. That we have been set free to now glorify you, our God. So we thank you for your word and the preaching of it. Bless it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, throughout the Old Testament, the Exodus was the pivotal moment of really of all of Israel's history. Israel, time and time again, was to recall the moment they were set free. The moment the Lord brought them out of Egypt and into the land of promise. When he saved them from oppression, from captivity, to now lead them into his very presence. The Exodus is really one of those grand narratives throughout all of Scripture. It really encompasses for us, Really, every aspect of salvation, redemption from sin, from suffering, redemption from the tyranny of the devil, from death itself to be brought back to God. The Exodus is about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in the gospel. It was the Old Testament type of salvation. It was looking forward to what Christ would do. It really is of utmost importance that not only for Israel to recall the exodus, as Hosea is doing, recall the time when I saved you and brought you out of Egypt. But it's important for us as Christians to consider the exodus and really the final exodus accomplished through Christ. Brian Estelle, he said, understood properly the story of an ancient nation delivered from captivity led into the desert and brought into a new land, is full of life-changing news for the modern world. That's what we have here. We have life-changing news for us today, that the word of God is living and active. It is applied to us, to his church, so that we would understand this great exodus and the freedom that we have in Christ And so Hosea 11 is one of these passages that looks backward to the Exodus. It's recalling this great and grand narrative of what God did for his people. But more than that, it's also then looking forward. The prophet is anticipating a greater day to come. If the Exodus was so great for Israel, there's coming a day of the fulfillment of it through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's promising to us this Gospel and the freedom and redemption and deliverance that we have through Christ. You remember the book of Hosea? It's one of the the greatest stories in the Old Testament. The Hosea is called to marry adulteress Gomer. And Gomer and her children are a vivid picture of Israel's unfaithfulness. their, Their name of their children are brought up to depict our sin. They're to, to name their children. They're, no mercy. You are not my people. They've rejected the Lord and now their children are a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And so if a picture is worth a thousand words, the book of Hosea gives us a, a vivid picture of the sinfulness of man's heart, of the nature of the brokenness of sin among us even today. And yet a vivid picture of the nature of our God and his glorious grace in Christ. Hosea proclaims to us through the type of the exodus, the final and future exodus to come. As Hosea wants Israel and he wants us, brothers and sisters, to rest in Jesus. To look forward to that day of redemption. And he wants us to call, how recall how we have been redeemed. Christ Hosea is a prophet he's proclaiming to Israel both the covenant curses why they will be taken into exile and yet as a prophet he proclaims to them the faithfulness of God and his covenant of grace to them through Christ so that they will look beyond their unfaithfulness to God himself to the God we just sang of God's greatness and majesty displayed in Christ And he wants us to rest in the redemption we have through Christ. Hosea is looking forward to this future exodus. So this is what I want us to consider this morning. That the exodus not only displays God's love for Israel, but it sets the pattern for the future redemption to come. That if God has redeemed Israel from the bondage of their own sin, freeing them from the kingdom of Satan, how much more has he done so for us through the fulfillment of Hosea, through Christ? Brothers, sisters, we have such a great salvation, which Hosea is proclaiming to us this day. So we'll see this in three points. Firstly, let's consider the recollection of the Exodus. Hosea prophesied during the 8th century BC in a time of great spiritual infidelity of Israel. Israel in the north has ran after other gods. And so as you read through the book of Hosea, you read of the covenant curses according to the law of God. He's applying the law to their hearts. Why is it that they'll go into exile? Why is it that Assyria is coming against them? Well, chapters 8 through 10 recalls this for us, that they have forsaken the Lord. They have forgotten their God. They were no longer fearing his name. In other words, they were unfaithful to the covenant. They could look to God's law and see why it is they are experiencing exile being cast east of Eden. And yet Hosea, as a prophet of the gospel, as a herald of Christ, he's causing them to recall the exodus to point them to the faithfulness of their God. It was God who called them in the exodus that they are to remember when God saved them from oppression, that they were in Egypt for 400 years as slaves to Pharaoh. They were experiencing the bondage of sin, and yet God set them free. And he does that here in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Israel's first called God's son in Exodus four, verse 22. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. It's in the context of the Exodus where God adopted them as his own son, took them as his covenant people. The Lord made them his own special possession. Isaiah 43, one spoke of this adoptive grace. Oh, Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Exodus language, deliverance, I delivered you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Right? God's love was the foundation of their covenant relationship. Why was it that Israel was God's people? It wasn't because of Israel's faithfulness. It wasn't because of their love to God. It wasn't because they were righteous or faithful. It was because of God's mercy and grace and love towards them. He called them. He redeemed them. Right? It was when they were a child, he called them, Hosea says. It was when they knew little of the Lord, when they were helpless, a helpless child, they couldn't do anything for themselves. That's the depiction here. Was it when they were great and mature and had this great understanding? You were but a child when I called you. More so, they were a stubborn and disobedient child. I have four children of my own, and this is what we have in our house. We have stubborn and disobedient children that that need the law of God. They need the grace of the gospel. It was when they were disobedient, it was when they were stubborn. That's when God showed his love to them. He loved the unlovely. When no eye pitied them, the Lord did. Look at the Lord's love for them in verse 4. We read of this love where the Lord took them, drew them, and even led them as a father. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. As a faithful shepherd who feeds his sheep, this is our Father, who drew them with gentle cords. When God saves us by his irresistible grace, he doesn't save us kicking and screaming. He didn't irresistibly call us and we say, no, I don't want to go, but I'm going to take you anyways. He He draws us with cords of love. He makes us willing and able to believe by his Spirit. He opens up our eyes to behold the glory of God, and we want to go because that's where we're satisfied. This is God's love for Israel. He drew them with love. Brothers and sisters, isn't this how the Lord is with us, his people? He is a loving father who has drew us by his love, by his spirit. That gift of the spirit we heard in Sunday school this morning, he gives us that gift, pours his love into our hearts by his spirit, effectually calls us by love. We know the love of our triune God. And when did God love us? When did he call Israel's When they were unworthy, when they were unlovely. He did the same for us. God loves the ungodly. He sent his son to die for sinners. We read of this love, the love by which we have in Christ, in Ephesians 1.5, that we too, like Israel, have been adopted. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Israel was called their son, a a physical nation, yet an adoptive son of, of God's grace, to point us to his love for the church when he adopted us through Christ. And so the foundation of our covenant relationship is always God's covenant love. We read of that love throughout this chapter. It's really striking the language that Hosea uses to teach us of the infinite and perfect love of God. Jeremiah Burroughs says, God delights in his saints. And there is nothing in the world that should sanctify a gracious heart more than this, that God loves him. And as God's love is extraordinary to them more than to other people. God's love is a distinguishing love. He, he loved Israel. He didn't love all the nations the same way. It was a distinguishing particular love. The same thing for us. He loved us, the unworthy, those who were unfaithful, the stubborn child. And yet he drew us to himself. Have you experienced that love? Do you know that love, the love of the father through the son by his spirit? Turn to Christ. See the love of God in Christ. Pray that the Lord might draw you to himself. This is an extraordinary love. right? God's loved Israel, the nation of Israel, for the purpose of bringing about the Messiah. That is why he loved Israel, so that Christ would come through them to be the redeemer of Jews and Gentiles. He didn't love all the same way. Paul says in Romans 9, not all Israel are descended of Israel. There's a spiritual people of Israel. Those who believed in the promise. Those who hear this gospel of Hosea, those who recalled the Exodus and actually trusted in the love of God through Christ. They are a spiritual offspring. But God set his love upon Israel in the Exodus so that Jesus Christ would come so that we would receive the future and final exodus through Christ. But here then in Hosea, he recalls the exodus in order for Israel to consider the past mercies of God. And we too ought to do the same. They are to recall when God saved them, when he redeemed them, when he brought them out of Egypt. And we too, brothers and sisters, can recall when God saved us, when he drew us to himself through Christ, when we were baptized to receive the the sign and confirmation of those promises, we can look back and recall God's mercy. But he also calls them to recall the exodus so that they would see their need for a greater exodus to come. They were to look back and see, yes, they have received redemption. But only as a type. There's still a greater one to come. This leads us to our, our second point then, the necessity for a future exodus, the necessity for a future or new exodus. While Hosea recalls the past mercy of God in the exodus, he also brought a lawsuit against Israel for their unfaithfulness to the covenant. He speaks here of their idolatry to see and to demonstrate to them that they still need a greater exodus. They can't look back only to the physical exodus of being brought out of Egypt. No, they're to look to the anti-type, to the, to the future, greater exodus to come. Look what Hosea says. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed the bales and burned incense to carve images. He recalls to them their unfaithfulness to the covenant, their idolatry that they ran after other gods and continued to sacrifice on high places. They refused to recognize and turn to their covenant Lord. The picture here is like that of the prodigal son. They were a wayward child. They ran away from the father to a faraway country. They squandered the riches of God's grace. They were no longer worthy to be called a son. They were the ones who grumbled against their father, who easily found faults with them, easily forgetting the countless blessings they had at home, and they squandered it all. As we read this, we see our own hearts, do we not? Israel is a microcosm of our own heart. When you read the Old Testament, we shouldn't be, look how bad Israel is. I should be, look at my own heart. They are a microcosm of man's heart, our waywardness, our sin, that we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. Hosea says their hearts were were bent. They were turned inward, away from God. Martin Luther says that's the heart of every man born in Adam, a heart that's bent inward, curved in on itself. That is our problem. Our hearts, when we are born, are curved inward rather than curved away towards God, our maker. Turn towards Christ, the redeemer, they turn inward, they bend towards self. And so now we see the world through the lens of self, away from God. This was Israel's heart, bent away from God and turned towards idols. And what was the consequence of their sin? It was the same as Adam. They were kicked out of the promised land. They broke the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and they are to be exiled east of Eden. Hosea 6-7 equates Israel's disobedience to Adam's. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Adam broke God's covenant in the garden and flung us all into depravity, into the guilt of his own sin, the corruption of this world. Israel did the same. They didn't represent us, but they did the same. They broke God's covenant and they would be exiled. In fact, Hosea tells us it will be Assyria that will come for them. Verse five, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. He says, exile's coming. They're coming against you to remove you from the land for your sin. Our sin casts us out of the presence of God. That's what our sin deserves, to be cast out forever, eternal judgment from God. And so one of the purposes of the Mosaic Covenant is to demonstrate the necessity for a perfect righteousness with God. That's what we need. That's what he was teaching Israel. To dwell with God, you need a perfect righteousness. John Owen said the Mosaic Covenant declares the impossibility of obtaining reconciliation and peace with God. Any other way but by the promise. It's the promise of the gospel. The law cannot save us. Our obedience cannot save us. If we learn anything from Israel, it's that sinful men cannot merit anything before God. No, the law is a tutor. It's meant to show us our sin. It's meant to reveal our hearts so that we would be led as a tutor to the hand of Christ. So it is with us. The law demonstrates our own heart that we too have broken the law of God, and like Israel, deserve to be cast out. Romans three twenty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so, by beholding our own reflection in Israel. It should cause us to flee to Christ. That if we see what was the consequence of their own sin, that they are cast out, they are exiled, they are judged by Assyria, we ought to see the same. We deserve more so. Not just temporal judgment, but actual eternal judgment to come. It demonstrates man's need then for a new exodus. They need to be returned from captivity, but not just from captivity from Assyria. Hosea is saying, this is going to be the the cycle of your nature, the the cycle of your history. That you need a new and final exodus to come. Not just to be saved from Pharaoh, great a tyrant as he was. You need to be saved from sin, from the tyranny of Satan, from death itself. You need a new and final exodus. And so it's actually striking here then this language, this this turn of phrase and the the language here in verse 8. No longer do we hear then of the judgment of God, we hear of the love of the Father. Here it's expressed, this divine love, in in terms we could understand. It's it's using human language to, to teach us the fullness of God God is incomprehensible, but he stoops down to teach us. And he teaches us of the depths of his infinite love. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? Right? My heart recoils within me, my compassion groans grows warm and tender. But speaking of the depths of God's infinite love, God is love. He doesn't just have love, he is love. He, he is holy. He doesn't just have holiness. He is the fullness of holiness. And so he must judge sin. Rather, the fullness of his love. He fulfills his decree to save sinners. The fullness of his love, he would send the Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness of his love, he would maintain his covenant, faithfulness. Right? He says here, for I am not God, uh, for I am God and not. A man, praise God, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. He's not like us. He's not fickle, one who could be frustrated by, by us or by our circumstances. He always acts according to his unchanging nature. And so he wants Israel to rest on God's covenant faithfulness, on God's nature and his divine love. He wants them to turn away from looking inward and now look to God. The trouble is that their hearts were bent towards sin and self. And he says, behold, your God to see his unfailing, perfect, infinite love for sinners. And this love and grace is seen in verse 10, where he declares his faithfulness and resolve not to make an end to Israel. He says he will regather them. He will make a new and better covenant. Verse 10 actually alludes to Numbers 24, verse 7, where it's prophesied that God would bring Israel out of Egypt using the same language of a a roaring lion. He would redeem them from captivity. He would bring them through the exodus because he is God. And he would roar like a lion to bring judgment upon his enemies and save them from captivity. He says, God brings them out of Egypt. He shall devour the nations who are his adversaries. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares who dares rouse him. Right? When we hear this language of a roaring lion, we would expect judgment. And it is. But it's salvation through judgment. He says, he will roar like a lion, to regather his people into his church, to bring them out of exile once again, to dwell in his presence. Our God will roar like a lion, but he does so at the cross. He does so because he is the lamb who roars like a lion to deliver us from captivity. G.K. Beale said it well. He says, God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, which led to their ungrateful unbelief is not the final word about God's deliverance. Though they will be judged, God would deliver them again from captivity. Their judgment's not the final word. It's not the final word here. He promised them a future day. Israel, look to the future final redemption that is in Christ. And so not only do we recall the past exodus and see the necessity for a future one because of our sin, because of judgment, we also then see this fulfillment of a final exodus. Where is Hosea fulfilled? If this is pointing us to the future, where do we see these promises fulfilled of a day when God would regather his people? You see, Hosea was not only looking to a time when Israel would be restored from exile, what would that do? They would go back into exile again. No, they need actually to be saved from a greater enemy, from sin itself. And so we see the fulfillment actually in the gospel. Matthew writes to us in Matthew 2.15, he actually quotes from Hosea 11.1. He says, and he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, and that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, "Out of Egypt did I call my son." Matthew says this. It happens in the the life of our Savior that he would be taken down to Egypt, and we read it and we wonder, why did Jesus have to go down to Egypt? Why is he fleeing? What is going on here in the gospel that Jesus flight as a child into Egypt? fleeing from Herod actually fulfills the promise of Hosea that out of Egypt, he would call his son. Maybe you're like some commentators that they say Matthew has no regard for the Old Testament context. Matthew twists the words of Hosea for his own purposes. Why is he using this language? How is that about Jesus going down to Egypt? How do we work this out? One commentator said Matthew was grasping for any possible prophecy he could find, even passages that are obviously not about Jesus at all. Now, I know you're taught better here that that's not how we read the scriptures. We see that the scriptures are about Christ. But but why is it about Christ? Why does Matthew use this passage to uh, to speak about the Exodus? However, when the promise of Hosea is read in its entire context, it shouldn't be a surprise to us why it's about Christ. When we read the whole chapter, it's anticipating a future exodus through a new covenant. That is what Hosea is telling us. There is coming a day, Israel, when I would gather you again, just like I did in the first Exodus. A new and final exodus is coming through an obedient son. So Matthew is signaling to us that the final exodus has come in Christ. Hosea is fulfilled. That God would save his people through this greater deliverance. And so just as the purpose of the exodus was to deliver God's people through a mediator, to establish a covenant between God and his people, so to Jesus now, transcending Moses' role as mediator, as the true son of God, he has come to deliver us from sin, from the tyranny of devil, from death itself. One pastor said, what is that work theologically is that Jesus, God's son, the new Israel of God, goes into Egypt exile and comes out again to show that he will bear exile judgment for his people. That's what Matthew wants us to see, that Jesus is going down to captivity, to exile, and he will be brought out again as the son of God, the true son, because he will bring us out of captivity. He will deliver us and bear judgment exile for his people. Matthew, throughout his gospel, he uses these fulfillment quotations to prove that Jesus is the true Son of God who's loved by God. Matthew quotes many in the first two, three chapters of his gospel. He's quoting from the prophets to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And even more so, he uses these quotes to teach us that Jesus is the true Israel of God. He is the one who came to fulfill what Israel couldn't do. They broke God's covenant. Like Adam, they transgressed the covenant and were exiled. Matthew says, here is the true son who will be obedient. Here is the true Israel of God, my son, who will fulfill the covenant in your place. Here is the one, my son, who will bear judgment for you. At the cross, he is the beloved son with whom he's well pleased. And so Matthew really speaks about Jesus as the true Israel who who lives out Israel's history. He recapitulates Israel's history in his life to accomplish redemption. So after coming out of Egypt, what did Jesus do? He, He passed through the waters of baptism. He went through the waters of baptism, bearing that judgment and being raised as a sign of redemption to come for us, fulfilling all righteousness. And it was declared of him, he is the beloved son with whom the father is well pleased. After his baptism, he was tempted in the wilderness, just like Israel was. He was brought there by the spirit as the spirit led Israel through the wilderness and he overcame it through the very word of God. Jesus goes up the mountain and back down to feed his people, just as the Lord fed Israel, manna in the wilderness. You, you go on and on through the, the gospel of Matthew, and you see, here is the Christ, the true Israel, our deliverer." Matthew signaling to us the new Exodus has come through Christ. In fact. Luke 9, verse 31 refers to the cross as his exodus. Jesus was speaking of his exodus where he would pass through the judgment waters upon the cross. He would take our judgment there to fulfill our redemption. And so, brothers and sisters, the day Hosea prophesied has been fulfilled. It has been accomplished. Our redemption has been accomplished through Christ. We've been rescued from sin, from Satan, and brought into the very presence of God to enjoy our glorious inheritance. The final exodus has come. We live this side of the cross. And so we have been delivered. Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the covenant in our place. And he went to the cross to bear our sins. He is the righteous son who earned our righteousness so it can be imputed to us. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. And so as he has accomplished this redemption, we are those who Hosea says will come trembling from the West. We are those who will be, we are in exile and now we come with Jews and Gentiles gathered together as one church. We have been redeemed. The church are those who God has set his love upon, who he drew with cords of love by his spirit. We are those who come now trembling back into the presence of our God through Christ. Because redemption has been accomplished. We're no longer in captivity, no longer bound to sin. No, brothers and sisters, we have been set free. We're no longer in bondage. That's the glorious news of the gospel. Not only has our guilt been dealt with, but the corruption, the bondage of sin. Paul says in Romans 6, we have died to sin, been crucified with Christ so that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer held under captivity of Satan as sons of disobedience. No, well, if Christ has set you free, you're free indeed. You're free in Christ. Yes, at times we, we still might feel as if we are captive to sin. We might still struggle years later with the same sins. And we wonder, Lord, well, what's going on in my heart? I'm free. What we need to do as Israel was to do, recall the past mercy of God, to know who we are in Christ. We are no longer slaves. Sin no longer reigns over us. Yes, we have indwelling sin, and this side of eternity, we will continue to struggle, continue to have to put off sin and put on Christ. But we are to recall, brothers and sisters, who we are. We are the redeemed. We are those who are no longer held captive to the bondage of sin or to the world. So then why do we go back to Egypt? Why do we go back to the world? No, remember who we are. We've been redeemed. We've been brought out to enjoy God, communion with God and his people, to enjoy even now the blessings of this inheritance that's held for us in heaven. Paul tells us in Colossians, we have been delivered, redeemed through his blood from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's Exodus language. Paul is saying we have been set free from captivity, now brought in to enjoy glorious freedom in Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us stand firm on who we are in Christ. Looking back to the gospel. So yes, when we struggle with sin, what ought do we do? Confess our sins and rest in Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law in our place. To rest in Christ, who died to to grant forgiveness of all of our sins. To rest in the glorious gospel and have it constantly applied to our hearts. The Exodus, then, is a life-changing event and is good news For the modern world, Christ has fulfilled this final exodus through the cross, being restored through the resurrection to set us free. Have you experienced this life changing event? Have you experienced the freedom of redemption? If not, come to Christ. He is the only way to be set free. You might think freedom is the enjoyment of your sin. You are bound and slave to sin. But the promise is all who come will be set free. Come to Christ. And for us, brothers and sisters who have trusted in Christ, we can know our final exodus has been accomplished. We no longer have to fear exile. We didn't just restore us and now say, okay, if you sin, you're going to be exiled like Israel. There is no curse for us in the new covenant. There's no more exile because Christ was exiled for us. Let us rest in Christ and be assured of this everlasting, incorruptible and internal inheritance in Christ. We could be assured of our deliverance and we will then be delivered into the presence of God at that last day. And so like Israel, we can meditate upon the past mercies of God to assure us of our future hope with God. And so let us recall God's mercy to us in Christ so that we too would be assured of our eternal inheritance to come. May we have, through the means of grace, continually set before our eyes, our minds, and our hearts this glorious gospel. This is what we get to do this day. We come as God's covenant people to know that we deserve judgment. We are unworthy, the un- unlovely, and yet we've been loved. God justifies the ungodly. He has redeemed us and set his infinite love upon us. He drew us with cords of love to be his redeemed. Let us then rest in Christ, that if we have received the gracious love of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the gift of his Spirit who's called us, we can know that our triune God is Love will never fail us. No, we could be certain nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let us rest in the glorious gospel. The final exodus has come. We are set free. For out of Egypt, God has called his son. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your infinite, eternal love set upon your people. The same love by which you have loved your Son is granted to us in him, for you have redeemed your church through the blood of Christ. We thank you for calling us by your Spirit. When we were unlovely, unworthy, we could never merit anything before you. And yet, Lord, you have called us by your Spirit to unite us to Christ to receive the fruits of this glorious redemption. And so, Lord, we pray that you would encourage our hearts with the truth of the gospel, that you would edify us and build us up, and that you would cause us to turn and flee from sin and idolatry, and to turn back to you, our God, as we rest in Christ. We thank you, Father, for your word, and pray that it would bear fruit for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.